0: This is the Fertility Hour, where couples learn how to improve their fertility naturally. Join Charlene Lincoln as she interviews leading experts in the fields of natural fertility, holistic medicine, and preconception care. Fertility Hour is where you'll find evidence based strategies, tips, and resources to help you when trying to conceive. And now, here's Charlene Lincoln.
1: So, welcome back to another episode of the Fertility Hour. And you know what, I'm terrible about promoting the Fertility Hour, but it's so important that we get your support. So, um, you know, fertilityhour.com is our website. There you can um, download a free report, how to restore your fertility, Uh, share, you know, whatever episodes resonate with you on your social media accounts, you know, share them with friends, family, loved ones, and, um, you know, make comments, ask questions. I'll, I'll be looking out for them and really appreciate your support. So uh, today, I'm, I'm really excited. I have uh, Stacy, the baby maker. I love that. Mm-hmm. Roberts. Mm-hmm. I love that. So um, Stacey is a physical therapist turned herbalist and naturopath since 1989. She con- consults with individuals and couples to create a specialized, indiv- individualized natural fertility program to enhance health, um, enhance health and help couples conceive. She has assisted um, couples in over 32 countries, helping them to improve their overall health well, and well-being by addressing their physical, physiological, and emotional health using complementary medicine products and services. Her clinic's natural fertility approach has been associated with 7,000 babies being born. This prompted Stacy to formalize her approach for patients into the five-step fertility solution available in her book, The Fertility Bible. Um, And many of these couples were told that they would never have a child. She continues to develop and enhance programs to optimize women's health and hormones. Her five-step program also addresses prenatal and postnatal care, overall hormonal health and function and nutritional support. And she's also developed an exclusive, highly detailed and informative program for practitioners called the Fertility Mentoring Program. And um, she's co-authored seven other books. She speaks internationally. She's been featured on Oprah. I love that. And so thank you so much for being here, Stacey. Um, Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So um, I know that, you know, you you speak, um, treat, and mentor on many, many different conditions. But kind of one thing that's been coming up Um, is PCOS. So that's what I approached um, you about. Let's have a conversation about PCOS because I think there's a ton of information out there. And then when there's a lot of information online, there's a lot of misinformation, misconception. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine if you get diagnosed with PCOS, um, it might hit you like a a semi-truck and you feel like, you know, a lot of fears come up. And of course, like all of us, you just run to the internet and start you know, going to Doctor Google and figuring out what the heck is going on, what what's my future going to look like with this, what are my options, and so mm-hmm. I want to kind of go through um, a, a lot of that noise and um, make a plan for people, inspire Fantastic. women, and uh, and I mean, is it true PCOS can make it challenging to become a parent? but you could definitely become a parent, have a healthy baby, have a healthy pregnancy. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, There was a
2: friend of mine, this dates back to me having any knowledge of any fertility issues before, um, and she uh, was diagnosed with something. I remember I was probably in my early 20s, and I remember her family was very upset about it because she was told that she probably wouldn't be able to have children in the future, and everybody um, was just really, really down and worried about her. Um, So she never thought she could have children. She got married, and all of a sudden, you know, six months into the marriage, bam, she became pregnant, Um, and then about a year and a half later, again, became pregnant, and she did have polycystic ovaries. She never had any problems becoming pregnant, so it's not necessarily a guarantee that women are going to have um, issues when they have polycystic ovaries uh, in regards to becoming pregnant. But it certainly can be an issue.
1: Okay, um, that, that is good to know. And is the only way to inf- um, definitively um, diagnose PCOS is through an ultrasound? Because what, what I've read on some women go, God, I've had to really beg my doctor to give me an ultrasound, or, or doctors looking at all the other signs and symptoms and going, This is the condition you have. Well,
2: there's it, what's interesting about it is there's not an agreement across the board as far as the medical profession about how to diagnose polycystic ovaries. Mm-hmm. Um, there uh, Some doctors believe that the ovaries themselves need to be polycystic. Some doctors believe that the androgens need to be elevated, and it doesn't matter if the ovaries are polycystic or not. And now they've come up with a, a kind of a grading scale of, of different levels, um, combining all of those things. Um, some different associations have come up with um, different ways for doctors to diagnose and say they're at grade one, grade two, grade three, et cetera. Uh, And some of those will involve taking ultrasound, see if they have the polycystic ovary morphology, if you will, so that the ovaries look polycystic, polycystic, but then the others will involve, you know, what symptoms are uh, there plus um, their hormone levels. So it really is hopefully being streamlined now into Mm -hmm. something a little bit more I don't want to say precise, because when, when they would just look at a woman and say, oh, you're overweight and you have irregular cycles, you must have polycystic ovaries. Mm-hmm. Now they're opening that up and making it a much more broad definition with distinct parameters to be able to decide how to diagnose. But that's not even across the board. So it really depends on the, um, the specific doctor and their knowledge and
1: what they're most comfortable with. And, and, and what about you and your expert opinion? What are the parameters? Um where you can determine that a woman has PCOS? Well,
2: they'll be usually coming to see me and with the diagnosis, first of all. But Mm -hmm. if I'm suspicious, so let's say they have unexplained fertility issues or they haven't been to a doctor and they've come to me first, uh, some of the telltale signs would be irregular cycles, um, the excessive hair growth, um, issues with acne usually on the neck or on the chin or on the the back, more of like a cystic um, acne versus just getting acne around their chin during a cycle. Um, the uh, hair loss, uh, like an androgen um, uh, alopecia, if you will, androgenic alopecia, where they have um, certain areas where it's kind of a male pattern baldness. Um, That usually comes later. It doesn't usually come in the early stages in regards to polycystic ovaries, but it can happen. Uh, So those types of things will start to make me think, hmm, does this person present with polycystic ovaries? But with every person that I'm seeing, I'm really not focusing on their diagnosis and whenever they come and see me, I'm focusing on, okay, that's a bit of information for me, but I want to see what your underlying issues are because when you think about polycystic ovaries really, Charlene, it's not a, it's not, it's not really a separate disease. It's a, it's a bunch of symptoms which have been uh, labeled as polycystic ovaries. So Mm -hmm. the vast majority of women with these symptoms will have underlying issues with glucose metabolism or insulin resistance, which, you know, for your listeners, that would be someone who's maybe pre-diabetic, or someone has difficulty, you know, when they eat carbs or sugar, and their body's not utilizing that um, as efficiently as it could. And then um, a diet and lifestyle, like we're uh, unfortunately used to in the United States and somewhat in Australia, can exacerbate that by being high in carbs, low in protein, low low in good fats, etc. So, um, does that answer your question in regards to, I don't really look for <clears throat> to specifically diagnose anybody, but to say, okay, these are the symptoms that make me think there might be polycystic ovaries involved. But even when that's the case, I don't have a you know, person coming in and say, polycystic ovaries, you need these herbs, right? I look at what the underlying issues are because there's so many different presentations of polycystic ovaries. I wanna make sure that I'm giving them what's,
1: what's right for their
2: body and their mm-hmm. system.
1: No, I, it absolutely makes sense. I mean, I practice Chinese medicine and, you know, people can present 10 different people could come in with migraine symptoms. There's never going to be like, oh, here's the whatever the prescriptive perfect. formula for mm-hmm. that. It's it's going to, I mean, we're all individuals and so it's going to present differently. But, absolutely. Um, you know, w- when we're talking about kind of um, w- one of the key factors is the insulin resistance, mm-hmm. um, you know what, I mean, so diet Obviously it's going to be foundational in treating mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. and you know you're th- I'm thinking of like paleo, keto mm-hmm. things like that that mm-hmm. really are managing blood sugar is is there a oh yeah the, if, if you really had to make it simple for someone follow this diet or mm-hmm. i'm I'm assuming yep. it's a little bit more individualized than that but give us right. some you know it, guidelines it, it, on the diet. Sure.
2: It is and it isn't. And what I do in my practice is I don't like to give a specific diet. um, And I don't like to say, you know, eat paleo. um, Because again, I think we're putting people into slots. So how I look at it is I go, okay, well, they really need an anti-inflammatory eating plan. And so does everyone that walks the face of the the earth, right? Mm, Um, But these people in particular, because they, um, you know, they might have underlying insulin resistance, but they could have issues with just glucose metabolism, not diagnosed insulin resistance. And that glucose metabolism may be due to... Uh, a sluggish thyroid, because then the, if the thyroid is sluggish, the liver might be sluggish, and then the liver's not metabolizing or using that glucose for energy as quickly as it should. So I'm going to, again, want to make sure that my patients are eating an anti-inflammatory eating plan, which could be paleo, it could be Mediterranean, it could be any of those that are decreasing the carbohydrates, not necessarily eliminating them, but decreasing them, teaching them how to choose the best carbohydrates for them, because a lot mm. of people think, well, I've given up carbs, but then they're still eating salad and vegetables and all that, well, those are carbs, but those are Mm. good carbs. So um, we want to teach the difference between the good carbs and the the carbs that are not necessarily good for that person, and eliminating sugar uh, as an anti-inflammatory step for sure, Uh, and then making sure that their protein and, and good fats are in good balance for their particular situation. Um, and you know, if somebody comes to me, who's a vegetarian, that's going to be a different eating plan that I'm going to work with them on than if they're coming to me and they're a meat eater. So, um, it just, again, depends on the situation. But if I had somebody in front of me, I would say, honestly, I would say the book is actually no longer called the, the fertility Bible. It's called, um, the baby maker's guide to getting pregnant mm-hmm. featuring the five-step fertility solution. And the first mm-hmm. step in that is an optimal eating plan. And I explained to them how uh, the importance of low glycemic carbohydrates, optimal protein and good fats. And once they get that concept, and I can Mm -hmm. teach them so that they can look at a label or understand what a food, certain food is doing for them, it's really then straightforward from there. So then within a paleo diet or within a Mediterranean diet, they can choose the foods that they know that are gonna be better for them.
1: makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, This just came up and I I know to some, it would be extreme, but I, I, um, when I was pregnant, I was diagnosed with, um, gestational diabetes. And so I was using that glucose, you know, you prick and test your glucose. Um, I was interviewing William Davis. He's the author of wheat belly. Mm -hmm. And I guess one of his things is, um, you test your blood before you eat and then 30 minutes after, and just make sure that the numbers stay the same. Do you ever recommend that to someone just to kind of monitor that their blood sugar is staying stable with the choices that they're making?
2: Um, that, that certainly can be something that um, patients do. I haven't had to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think most likely because the, my patients are, again, they probably wouldn't have really understood that they had polycystic ovaries unless they were trying to become pregnant. Um, or mm-hmm. potentially, there's a small percentage, though, that are diagnosed as a teenager and mm-hmm. then put on the pill, and then they, they just kind of forget about it. Yeah. So that small percentage might come to me and say, you know, look, I know that I had polycystic ovaries, and I just don't want to have trouble getting pregnant, or you know, that type of thing. But they're early on in their in their um, in their uh, life, basically. That a lot of times, even monitoring their glucose levels isn't going to give us that much information um, because they're not uh, insulin so insulin resistant uh, that they are having significant issues with you know high levels of glucose. So in my practice, I haven't had a, a need to do that unless someone has come to me and they are diabetic or mm. uh, you know, very much on the border of, uh, and they're pre-diabetic, where they, it's gonna be very important for them to monitor it anyways. How we will monitor that change in blood glucose level or managing insulin better is how they're presenting. Are their cycles regulating? Do they notice that they have less of the symptoms that they had previously? Um, if ultrasounds are done, are there less of the um, polycystic, are they less of polycystic ovary nature? Mm -hmm. Um, And certainly, um, I think sometimes my patients, well, many times they appreciate that, that we're not doing a lot of different um, testing on a daily basis, like looking at the blood sugar draw, simply because um, it's just another thing for them to have to think about when they're trying to become pregnant. You know, I'm asking them to take their temperature. I'm asking them to eat a certain way. I'm asking them to learn these other things. Um, So I try to keep those suggestions um, and requirements, if you will, to be a part of the program. Um, to a minimum, but that the patient still sees the progress. And mm-hmm. so that's why we do temperature charting, so they can watch the changes in the temperature, because PCOS oftentimes, although not 100% across the board, will have a specific um, you know, low temperatures related to less than optimal thyroid function or uh, very erratic temperatures if they don't have a cycle at all or very regular cycles. And I've had women with polycystic ovaries not have one period uh, on our program and still become pregnant. So mm-hmm. and we did that by monitoring their temperature chart and seeing when they're probably ovulating, but progesterone may not be coming in to get that big rise in temperature. And then I show them, okay, so when you see this pattern, this is when you time intercourse. And you know they become pregnant without even having a period.
1: Mm, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. So the cervical lining never has to necessarily shed. Correct. For... Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I mean, that is good to know. You know, I mean, it, it's so interesting, I, I could imagine, it would be quite confusing and I have a, a question relating to that. Um, so say that a, a woman was diagnosed early on with PCOS and then mm-hmm. um, she was put on the pill and metformin to control mm-hmm. the glucose levels and then, um, you know, she is on it for a number of years. Unfortunately, some women are on it a decade or more, yeah, more to, to deal with it and then they want to start a family and they go to a functional uh, medicine practitioner, integrative, holistic, um, and, and, and then you know we're we're talking um, addressing thyroid issues, adrenal issues, um, mm-hmm. changing up the whole you know diet, exercise. I I, th- I think sometimes people get confused. Well, I mean, my doctor wasn't really going into any of this, and and some go, wait, now I have to like do all this stuff, right? To mm-hmm. you know, I mean yeah unfortunately i mean I, i'm not here to beat up conventional medicine but no. is that i mean that's a little bit frustrating that that's oh, the it's treatment a treatment protocol absolute, you know yeah it's an
2: absolute shame when you think about it what an opportunity for that teenager
1: mm-hmm. who's
2: going in and is being told that she has polycystic overs what an amazing opportunity for a learning experience for them to even if they just talked about eating plan right mm-hmm. even if they just talked about you know making sure that you know you're exercising um those, you know, two big things, which are two of the five steps in our, in our five-step fertility solution, would do wonders for the teenager. But what happens is they then get put on the pill and have a regular cycle, which they think is a normal cycle. And again, nobody's telling them that, you know, it's not really a cycle, right? You're, you're just kind of skipping that ovulation, you know, that type of thing. But mm-hmm. you're getting a bleed. So then when they come off the pill, then they go back to the way they were. Uh, and uh, and sometimes worse, sometimes uh, a little bit better. But then they, all those years that they were on the pill, they could have been doing things to reverse this condition or at least significantly decrease the issues related to it. So I think it's a missed opportunity and it mm-hmm. makes me kind of sad when I think about it. Actually, it's frustrating, but it makes me, but it really makes me sad. sad. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, the more uh, of these types of things that you're doing and uh, the awareness that I'm doing, we're, we're making people more aware that they can be more proactive than just you know taking a pill and pretending like it's not there Mm
1: -hmm. that's what we're here for Mm -hmm. um um, okay so a woman listening is on the pill she wants to start a family she's been on metformin for a number of years and um you know obviously she has to get off the pill if she wants to start the family i mean what, what what are we talking like what are kind of first steps the, the dietary changes or... Well, know. if you were, if she was coming to me to say, look,
2: I'm on the pill now, and then mm-hmm. like to get off it and start a family, I'm mean, also taking metformin. First thing that I would say is, well, let's keep you on the pill for another month or so while we start this program. Because mm-hmm. we take the pill away. I don't know how she's going to react, right? Sure. So I want to try to support her for a short period of time while she's taking that medication to give her a little bit of foundational base of support um, so that when she comes off the pill, hopefully there's not such a huge... You know, swing in symptoms, Um, and those symptoms being things that women most worry about, like the excessive hair growth and the acne and things like that. Certainly, we want physiological support as well to to support that underlying potential insulin resistance and hormonal uh, imbalance that could be there as well. Um, But you know, uh, the patients don't often understand that they they understand what they see in the mirror and what they are definitely afraid of not wanting to get that acne back that they had mm-hmm. before, or you know they want a regular cycle so they can become pregnant. So we kind of focus and, and work on those things. And then after that first month, then we um, you know, talk about coming off the pill, and then we are monitoring their temperature charts. And after a month or so, we do some blood tests, to see where the hormone levels are at. Um, and then we tweak the formula and the program really to fit them as their body changes coming off the pill. Now the metformin is interesting because oftentimes um, they, thankfully, at least from my practice, I haven't seen them being put on that as a teenager. Um, Usually they're put on that relatively, um, you know, when they find out they want to become pregnant and it's not happening and then they are diagnosed with polycystic overs and then they're put on metformin. now, metformin, there's so many other opportunities or options besides metformin. However, there are things that, that we can also do if they don't want to come off the metformin, because let's say it helped them lose weight and they wanted to you know, stay on the metformin. So we can support the liver and we can make sure that their B vitamins, are they're getting their B vitamins because metformin will deplete the body of folic acid and other B vitamins, et cetera. So we can help support them as well. But if they wanted to come off the metformin as well, because it's not it hasn't been deemed as safe during pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Then we would look at things like, you know, um, something simple as apple cider vinegar, which has been shown to work just as well for um, optimizing glucose levels as as drugs like metformin. You can look at adding cinnamon to their diet and to their tea and things like that, or as a, as a potential herb. We can look at um, NAC and acetylcysteine, which Mm -hmm. has been um, put up against metformin in certain studies and shown to be able to create the same type of change in the system as metformin does. So there are a lot of different opportunities for the patient who's coming to see me. And then I discuss that, all these options, and say, you know, which one seems like it would be the most beneficial for you? Which one would you feel that you'd be most able to be compliant with and, and do for a longer term? Because I want them to think of this as a long term relationship and a long term commitment to their health and to themselves. Um, and oftentimes I see that metformin after they're on it for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't seem to have a, a very uh, impactful effect as it did when they first came went on it.
1: I would think that um, if women are coming to you, then they're pretty excited that there are um, natural options mm-hmm. that seem to work just as effectively. Uh, I mean, of course, why not? I mean, that's mm-hmm. why, why they're, they're searching you out to get that information. Mm-hmm. So, um, Let's see, I have some questions that came in and let's go through them. Um, Pull them up right here. Okay. I've been on the pill for eight years to control my PCOS. Recently I've been reading about natural therapies. I really want to start a family in the next year is it really possible to control my symptoms naturally? And why didn't my doctor doctor present these options to me? Okay, well, mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about this, but if there's anything you want to add to this. I
2: would just say I've been asked that question about why didn't my doctor tell me, and I have no idea. I'll, the only the only real answer I can give them is they didn't learn that in medical school. It's not mm-hmm. a part of their focus uh, versus you know, the natural aspects are a part of our focus. And physicians don't necessarily believe that what we do will work, even though it is supported by research. So it's, uh, you know, my answer to them is, I don't know, I wish they would have said something to you in the past. Um, But, you know, yes, women can um, manage the polycystic ovaries and even reverse the polycystic ovary morphology, meaning their ovaries can return to looking normal in some cases uh, with just natural remedies, but it needs to be a commitment to yourself to follow a, a healthier eating plan and managed by supplementation, versus taking uh, a pill to regulate your cycle. So it does it does rely on uh, self commitment um, to a program, um, and it is that's a lot more involved, and, and frankly,
1: it's more effort as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And we um, uh, another question that came in was um, asking about diet. We did talk about the diet thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you're having glucose balancing issues. Do you have a strong sweet tooth? Because that's, um, you know, I mean, you're you're craving kind of like simple carbohydrates, mm-hmm. sweets, or whatever to manage your energy and mood and things like that. Is there, um, is there any helpful things? I I know increasing like protein and saturated fats in the diet can help a little bit of of that. Uh, maybe I'm asking for myself. I'm a, I'm always <laughs> kind of I'm a battling, you know, that where sure. I have to really oh, okay manage that, the sugar cravings that come up, and I I eat plenty of protein and fat, Mm -hmm. so. Well, two things that I find across the board with my um, patients
2: is if their gut health is not where it needs to be, Mm -hmm. meaning if their good bacteria is out of balance with the bad bacteria, Mm -hmm. uh, then a good quality probiotic with a decent amount of CFUs or strains in the the, uh, product um, will help, and that's been shown to decrease inflammation in the gut and also um, decrease uh, sugar cravings Mm -hmm. for some people. The other thing that I find for some people is that have the sugar cravings is if they start off with a good smoothie in the morning that has good natural sugars like fruit in it, Mm -hmm. along with balancing that with some protein uh, and good fat, they have less of a tendency to crave that sugar throughout the day. Um, Also, if they start out with something like, you know, you being in the U.S., you know about bulletproof coffee, right? So Mm -hmm. if they start off with like something similar to bulletproof coffee or tea, meaning instead of adding all the, you know, the. The garbage to their coffee, like sugar and you know uh, creamers and all that, they add some organic butter or some coconut oil or things like that. That will also help to regulate their blood sugar levels. Se- seeming to do it earlier in the day seems mm-hmm. to help um, fend off the cravings throughout the day as well. And staying away from the chocolate or any, even if it's chocolate, that's good for us like dark chocolate in mm-hmm. the evenings. That seems to also contribute to those sh- more sugar cravings the next day. The first thing is to get Mm -hmm. rid of as much added sugar as we can in our diet, maximize our protein and good fats, and then look at those other things. Kind of weird, quirky things that people could try if they're trying to Mm -hmm. do things. There's There's a herb called gymnema. Which, in its tincture form, if you put that on your tongue before you ingest sugar, it, oh, the right. sugar tastes horrible. So it kind of is that pattern interrupt. Like yeah. if it's more of a behavioral thing, if you can remember to put that Jim um, I can never pronounce it right yeah. Nema on the tongue before um, having that sugar, it'll kind of inru- uh, interrupt that kind of unconscious pattern for wanting that. But the, uh, I think we uh, don't often think of our gut as the source of sugar cravings but those little bacteria that want that excess sugar to keep the you know the fungus or the thrush or the candida uh, growing um they will you know we we become the puppet right they really kind of take over and and consciously we know we shouldn't be having this sugar but we're just we're still going for it Mm -hmm. that's where it's oftentimes is a um, gut issue that needs to be addressed
1: well stacy that really resonated with me because i mean I, i i've do the bulletproof and, and then different things. And it just doesn't really seem to help, but that really resonated um, with me about the gut bacteria mm-hmm. It all goes back to the gut. So um, many
2: things do, right? It really
1: does. It I really know. Does. Um, anyways, take care of your microbiome. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And um, another question came in about like diet stuff, you know, cause it doesn't have the refined sugar. I drink diet, soft drinks, trying to cut back still Mm -hmm. one or two a day, like uh, Coke Zero. Um, Is this okay for my PCOS because there is no sugar in it? Mm. It's artificial sweetener, right?
2: Right. So I often tell people if something like that type of a product says no sugar, it's the big bunch of BS that, the biggest bunch of BS that you can um, see. It just means no sugar, but we've got something else in here, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's artificial sweetener. So that goes back to our discussion about the gut. Because that type of artificial sweetener is just killing the good bacteria in the gut. So, that's not going to be great for them in regards to polycystic ovaries. And we know that those types of drinks are related to metabolic syndrome, which again is underlying insulin resistance and issues with glucose metabolism. So, absolutely not, unfortunately, those drinks have to go. And, you know, things like coffee and, and stuff, I, I tell my patients, you yeah, know, a little bit of that's okay. Um, But I cannot give them, and I say that because there's some antioxidants in coffee. There's something in there that I can find that that's that's good. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to sodas and soft drinks, there's just nothing. It's just water and chemicals and junk. It's just, I say to my patients, you know, do you put oil in your gas tank or petrol tank? Mm -hmm. Um, and, And they say, no, of course not. And I say, well, why? They say, well, because my car wouldn't run. And I said, exactly. So by, by drinking that soda, you're mm-hmm. putting oil in your gas tank, you know, and eventually, fortunately or unfortunately, it doesn't happen right away, but eventually your body won't run the way that it's supposed to because you're doing that. So helping people kind of understand those analogies. But yep, yeah, if they mm-hmm. have polycystic ovaries really or are trying to get pregnant, soda and soft drinks have been associated with decreased fertility across the
1: board, whether you have polycystic ovaries or not. Okay, well, I'm glad it, I'm glad I brought that up because I think that that could really be, you know, like you you try to manipulate information in your mind because you're just trying to keep, hold on to like your old, right, bad habits and going, well, if I use like sweet and low or something else, it's not mm-hmm. gonna, you know, and so mm-hmm. mm, no. Yeah. You just, um, and
2: especially with polycystic ovaries, it's, you know, it's, there's so much related to sugar. I had one woman who would not give up, give up her quarter teaspoon of sugar in her coffee every day. Mm-hmm. She's like, it's natural sugar. It's not. A, and I just, you know, I would shake my head and say, you just don't know if it's doing anything until you get rid of it. And for whatever reason, she stopped doing it after six months and became pregnant the next month. Now, can I say that was the reason? I don't know for sure, but what I do know for sure is that when she got rid of it, she became pregnant because probably she decreased inflammation even more that, you know, that she needed to. And, you know, so I just say, well, if, if you, you won't know until you get rid of it for that three to six months. So is pregnancy, you know, you want to become pregnant, or are you willing to also become healthier in the process?
1: Mm-hmm. What about things like stevia is, or xylitol? Um, what's your thoughts on that? So they... Um, couple
2: things. Um, my patients ask me about that a lot. And um, what I will do is if somebody comes to me and they are you know, drinking the Diet Coke and they're drinking, um, you know, or having lots of sugar in their diet and really having a hard time getting rid of it. My, my next step is to move to things like stevia and xylitol. But we have to remember that those things, even though they're not moving their blood sugars, uh, mm-hmm. really, they are potentially contributing to those overgrowths, right? So the gut health issues, the uh, candida, you know, that type of stuff, mm-hmm. uh, potentially. There's not a, real, a lot of real good research on that. But so if that person is already using those things, I will get them to come off of it completely. But I'll use stevia and xylitol to kind of be that step down if somebody's really having a difficult time coming off the very processed sugary products and and Mm -hmm. artificial sweeteners but I prefer that my patients you know get off of that so they get away from that you know that still that taste of wanting that something sugary Mm -hmm. but not you know it they don't have to never eat sugar ever what I say is you know two times a week give yourself a treat during the day you know you know, when you have kids, hopefully you're not going to be giving them treats every single day or a couple times a day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a treat as a treat because you're not having it off often. So, you know, treat your situation that same way and just give yourself a, you know, piece of good, uh, dark chocolate, a couple pieces of dark chocolate on Tuesdays and Thursdays, mm-hmm. you know, and just have that. So you're not completely depriving yourself, but you're also not overwhelming your system so that it, it wants it more and more and more.
1: Mm -hmm. I I mean it's good to have a conversation around it and and give people sort of parameters because I mean what do we do and a lot of us are stressed we're emotional eaters and sugar there's just that comfort connection Mm -hmm. you know I mean that's why chocolate's so popular right yeah it's like and uh, fruit fruit
2: is a great alternative and if we mm -hmm. can do that if we can train ourselves to have fruit because how many people binge on apples you know, I mean, yeah. a lot of people that's that are hardly totally the issue. Yeah. <laughs> apples a day. Right. But in that moment of emotional eating or that moment of emotional stress, again, is it our gut that's kind of dictating what we're wanting, or if mm-hmm. it is truly that pattern of that emotional eating, then stopping that pattern with just giving yourself a little bit of that low glycemic sugar, that will satiate you for that minute. And you can consciously then go, okay, I'm good. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, this clearly is an emotional step. So yeah. you, that pattern interrupt that you go, okay, I'm going to interrupt this behavior with this, like the gymnina we talked about, but even if it's a piece of fruit um, to kind of curb that sugar craving and then
1: be consciously able to go, okay, no, that's all I need. Mm-hmm. That that jamima I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right now. It's on Amazon. There's a couple mm-hmm. different because um, I have looked into that. So yep. thanks. Yeah, thanks for reminding me um, sure. about that. A question. Um, uh, I went to see a functional medicine practitioner after my PCOS diagnosis. She said that my adrenals also need attention and uh, is focusing on my thyroid. She also told me that my boot camp and CrossFit classes may be exacerbating my PCOS. Is this true? Because I love them for um, managing my weight. Mm -hmm. My other doctor never talked about any of this. Mm -hmm. I feel like the functional medicine doctor wants me to change everything, diet, exercise, adding meditation, adding supplements. Is this Mm -hmm. all really going to help? I'm Mm -hmm. willing if it is.
2: Well, definitely. It's about getting healthier. All that stuff certainly is going to help. But um, I would disagree with the person who said that the the boot camp um, and what was it boot camp and CrossFit
1: CrossFit is very popular. Yeah,
2: was making the PCOS worse. I would have a I would have a hard time with that. However, um, if they're over exercising or exercising too much for if they're adrenally fatigued, and they're kind of beating a dead horse right by exercising too much and their body's not able to recover from that exercise the cortisol levels are too low and they're not able to really recover from that then potentially that exercise could be keeping them in more of an adrenal fatigue or adrenal exhaustion phase which as you and i know that that could then impact the thyroid health as well so your thyroid and your adrenals are not necessarily like brother sister but they're close cousins so if you're really really run down what's the body's best way to Um, control uh, or to conserve energy well it would be to slow down the engine of the body which would be the thyroid so your adrenals sending that signal to the thyroid or affecting how the thyroid hormone converts from one to the other etc well it will have that effect of slow potentially in some people slowing down thyroid function so you're feeling more tired and why does the body want you to feel more tired well so you conserve more energy and you stop pushing yourself but we don't do that We, we just keep pushing Mm -hmm. it's just a vicious cycle
1: yeah especially if you're so worried about weight gain and feeling like i need to do these real extreme type exercises right
2: so and the the research behind exercise and fertility is mostly done for women who are going through ivf but we can talk about that for a moment Mm -hmm. so the research shows that 30 to 40 minutes you know four or five times a week is of moderate exercise is most beneficial in regards to women going through ivf trying to become pregnant so we could you know equate that to just fertility in general. So we don't want to we want to find what, what so what, what is moderate exercise? That's what my patients will ask me. Well, it kind of depends on the person. If if this person's doing crossfit and they're feeling amazing the next day, they're probably doing great with the amount of exercise that they're doing. As long as their hormone levels match that, so if their hormone, you know, estrogen, progesterone are, are pretty good, Um, it doesn't look like that excess exercise is also suppressing them. Then I would say, Hey, go for it. You know, I want you to move. Um, If though they're doing the CrossFit and they're still dragging the next day or that that day they're dragging and they're dragging themselves out of bed and they can't, you know, they can barely, you know, get to the the gym. Um, And they just don't feel the benefit of having the exercise because they're so tired or if they're constantly getting sick. Like I went through a phase of adrenal fatigue where I was so exhausted because I was running myself into the ground. Whenever I would exercise, I would get sick within one or two weeks. Mm -hmm. And I never got sick before, but it was my body telling me, hey, you're just, your petrol tank or gas tank is empty and you're trying to push beyond that. Mm. So again, it's more of an individual prescription, isn't it? About how much exercise that person should do based on how they're feeling. And if my person is significantly adrenally fatigued or exhausted, you know, I'm going to want them to curb their exercise, but I would never, because I love exercise so much myself, I would never tell them, don't exercise at all. And certainly with polycystic ovaries, because you need exercise to help improve that glucose mm-hmm. metabolism to utilize the insulin and just you know, decrease the insulin resistance. So we want them active in some form. So that's another way that we can work together with the patient to find what's best for them.
1: I mean, a couple of things come to mind, I mean, kind of working backwards, but you know, I think those there's like these messages. Maybe they came out of the '80s, like I'm thinking Jane Fonda videos, like <laughs> feel the burn, no pain, no gain. So people right. can feel sort of depleted from exercise, but feel like that's the process of, or that they're just out of shape. But um, mm-hmm. but the truth is, many of us um, have adrenal issues, and, mm-hmm. um, and and some of those exercises are a little too extreme for your condition. But then right. if you're focused so much on Oh my gosh! I need to do these type of exercises because I can't control my weight. Um, I think really going back to the um, the anti-inflammatory diet, the mm-hmm. the blood sugar balancing diet, that's an incredible way to stay at a good weight for you. Um,
2: Absolutely, and you could yeah. do
1: like restorative walking or yoga and really maintain a weight. Because, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And the person
2: might enjoy that higher intensity exercise. And, you know, like you said, it's, where is it coming from? It's more societal because mm-hmm. where were we ever taught growing up mm-hmm. to listen to your body, you know, listen to your yeah, body. You got to push that. past that. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. Don't want to, we're telling we're telling them, don't listen to your body, mm-hmm. push past it and get past. And to a certain extent, okay, yep. Some people would need to do that because they're just not going to push themselves mm-hmm. at all. But to, to tell that to everybody, especially that person that is just pounding it every single day. And yeah. Just is not finding the time to restore their energy, is um is difficult. And outside of PCOS, or, or I should say, including with PCOS, but including all fertility, what you know, there's plenty of women that exercise like crazy, and there's plenty of women that drink artificial sweeteners. There's plenty of women that do that, uh, other things that we tell our patients not to do, and they're mm-hmm. getting pregnant. So mm-hmm. the patient is going, well, why do I have to do this? Um, at least in polycystic ovaries, um, they have something right that Mm -hmm. they go well you're doing this also to decrease the issues that are creating the polycystic ovaries which and potentially is impacting your fertility Mm -hmm. but it's those that don't have that diagnosis it's harder for them to go my next-door neighbor drinks a you know pint of tequila every other day and they have five kids you're telling me i can only have you know a glasses of alcohol you know no i know
1: yeah that that i know that, that's tough. But like, we're all
2: different. We're, we're all, all different. We different
1: a, I mean, and not, I mean, another thing is it, it's all about, um, having a healthy pregnancy, a healthy baby, while maintaining your own health, and then mm-hmm. that baby comes out and is a self-sufficient human being. Yep. not term health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, with like eczema, food allergies, learning mm-hmm. disabilities. I mean, uh, you know, right. so that's kind of coming out too, and I'm not saying yeah. it, it, it's happening across the board, but um, it, it's just the end goal should not just be getting pregnant because right. believe me, you have to be a caretaker of that baby. And if you're feeling depleted, it's, right. it's rough to do right. that. Um, and I don't want to, um, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but we're going to talk about it again. When we're talking about adrenals and thyroid, honestly, I don't know many conventional doctors that do the proper t- testing mm-hmm. um, of the thyroid antibodies and then the full thyroid workup and then e- uh, and then doing like um, a cortisol panel where often mm-hmm. you have to do multiple times a day. So, um, right. you know, if you're listening and, well, I, I don't know if I have thyroid and adrenal issues, my doctor said. My fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you might want, you might need to delve into that um, deeper by going to a functional medicine practitioner who can mm-hmm. really do a proper workup. You deserve it. And they can give for you sure. a lot of information. Yeah. Uh, next that, question. That's,
2: that's oh, like sorry. A whole, that's a whole podcast on its own. Just that small topic. We could sure. talk for hours yeah, on.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, okay. Question. I've had several miscarriages. My doctor said that PCOS increases your chance of miscarriage What do I do to decrease it Mm -hmm. with this diagnosis?
2: Sure. So polycystic ovaries in some cases can increase your risk of miscarriage, but it's not necessarily, again, the polycystic ovaries. So polycystic ovaries is associated with increased risk of miscarriage. It's not necessarily the cause. The underlying issues are potentially the cause. So we go back to thyroid, which is very, very often related to several miscarriages. We go back to things like thyroid antibodies, which you mentioned, can also be related to miscarriage. So that's an autoimmune issue that should be ruled out. Um, And these are more common in women with polycystic ovaries. Um, And then we go back to the insulin resistance, which we know women who are diabetic would have a greater incidence of miscarriage potentially as well if their um, blood sugar and insulin levels are not controlled well. So again, we think about, we we have to get away from thinking of polycystic ovaries as something completely separate. So it's not the PCOS that potentially is the issue. Um, it's the underlying issues that are contributing to the miscarriages. So working with somebody who can research and figure out what those underlying issues are for you and then create that, that uh, program specific to your mm-hmm. situation is going to help decrease your risk of miscarriage
1: then. Okay. Well, and there are other good. reasons
2: for recurrent miscarriage, but that's kind of
1: mm-hmm. out of the scope of this talk, but. Okay. Um, Diagnosed with PCOS, been trying to conceive for three and a half years and I've almost given up hope. Should I keep trying and for how long? Wow, it's, um, I don't know how to, yeah. how to answer that. Right. Um,
2: so if you're trying for that long period of time, my first thing would be, do you have a regular cycle? Because here's the other thing that's often missed with polycystic ovaries is male fertility issues. So oftentimes when there's just a diagnosis of the woman, it's, it's, otherwise it's unexplained, but then they discover that, you know, the woman has polycystic ovaries, the guy gets forgotten, right? Mm-hmm. So he may be a smoker, drinker, you know, 25 pounds overweight, but if he has, you know, X amount of sperm, he's, yeah, everything should be fine. That's not necessarily the case. So, but we as women tend to take it on ourselves and be like, it must be my problem. You know, his numbers are okay. Well, his numbers are basically three numbers that they look at. They don't delve any deeper than that, which they should. They only look at the count, how well the sperm swims and the shape of the sperm. And more and more studies are showing that that's not good enough to determine whether or not the sperm is good enough to contribute to a viable pregnancy. So I'm gonna be wanting to talk to them about, um, you know, the partner. Uh, and see if, you know, if he can follow the program as well. Um, In regards to how long you, you know, should try for, that's a personal, personal decision, right? So if you, it might be different if you're 27 and been trying for three years or 47 and trying for three years. So that's a real personal decision that you and your husband have to sit down or you and your partner have to sit down and talk about and say, you know, you know, do we, you know, if we became pregnant six months to a year, which it might take, to uh, optimize their situation. Um, are we, is that okay with us? You know, so it's hard to answer that question about how long that specific person should try unless I'm sitting there helping them work through what they feel is best for their situation. Um, Cause it's not my place to tell them how long to try. Mm-hmm. Um, but is there still hope after trying for three and a half years? Absolutely. You know, um, without knowing where they're at. And, you know, again, in the, um, uh, you know, other cycles are, any of the other things that are going on mm-hmm. with it, there are certainly many things that can be looked at. We've had patients trying for nine years and come to us and become pregnant. You know, um, so it's you know something that certainly can be improved upon for sure. You mm-hmm. just have to find the person that's looking at you holistically and not just looking at one blood test or telling you to do this one procedure. Yeah. Just go ahead and do this procedure. It doesn't work. Okay, well, your eggs must be too old or
1: mm, they right. must not
2: be healthy because you have polycystic ovaries. That's not good enough. Just not good
1: enough well, you did a great job answering that question because there are so many unknowns in that person's situation and what kind of support that they're getting and what um, yeah and and I think like women sometimes go to an IVF clinic um, and get evaluated and then they don't fit their criteria mm-hmm. um, I mean yep. obviously IVF clinics they want to have a good success rate sure. and um, if you don't fit it somehow then they feel like well. I can't do that. And I've tried natural, like, it's just a no-go for me. I'm eating Mm -hmm. a dead end street, which is, which is really not true. Um, Mm -hmm. Not a good candidate for IVF. You could be a great candidate for natural fertility, just, but need to make some changes. Um, What supplements are found to be effective in the treatment of PCOS and are, are they necessary? Um, Well, that's a, I mean, how long is a piece of
2: string? So again, it depends on the particular person. And okay. what they're presenting with, not just, so I don't re- recommend the same supplement for every one of my patients with polycystic ovaries. It'll depend on what their thyroid's doing, how their adrenals are, mm-hmm. how their reproductive hormones are. Do they have regular cycles? All, I mean, sugar issues like we talked about. So I'd be very specific in, in things that I recommend. I don't like it when my patients come in with a bucket full of supplements to say that mm-hmm. this is what my last person gave me. So I try to streamline that process because me personally, I, I don't, I take supplements, but I don't want to take, you know, 50 a day. Mm. So I try to streamline it for that purpose, for, for compliance, but also for cost, right? So it's not cheap. Sure, so we're trying yeah. to get the most cost-effective supplementation that's specific for that person's for that person's particular situation. So, And then there's the question of whether they're utilizing Clomid, because Clomid is something that can help with ovulation or Lymera, um, and uh, they might be taking that. And there are good studies showing that, if they're Clomid resistant, like they're not ovulating on Clomid or they're not consistently ovulating on Clomid, there are certain um, herbs or um, supplements that can be used along with the Clomid to help to make the Clomid work better or to help them ovulate um, and be able to time intercourse more efficiently that doesn't really get to the underlying issue, right? So mm-hmm. you know, if they're becoming pregnant on the clomid, they're really not addressing the underlying issue, which is concern for gestational diabetes and pregnancy, high blood pressure, all those types of things. But certainly if there's that person that really wants to take the medication, there are supplements and, and, or, and or herbs that can be utilized to help with that. But I always have the conversation about, you know, this is a lifelong issue. Let's, let's try to look at the underlying issues as well too. And sometimes they just have to go through the Clomid phase or the, or the IVF and, and it doesn't work for them. And then they're willing to give it some time from a natural point of view and everyone's on their own journey. So I'll support them no matter what they decide. them mm. know that I'm here if it's not working to come back and we can and look at that. But yeah, I wish I could give very specific recommendations for supplementation for mm-hmm. those who are listening, but I, I just can't because everyone's so different in how they present.
1: Um, this was a question I had forgotten to add it, but um, I don't know if you come across this. It was um, a woman diagnosed with PCOS um, when her and her husband were trying to start a family. And she felt sort of devastated and scared to tell him like he didn't really know the impact of it. She was told that she had PCOS, but um, she She just did Couldn't tell him that that was really it it could potentially make it difficult to have Mm. a child. Um, Mm -hmm. Do do you come across that where women go, yeah, my husband knows I have this, but they don't really like. My husband relies on me for the research, so (laughs) whatever (laughs) I have, like I pretty much have to fill him in how it's going to impact us as a couple. Right, I I can kind of see that that would be a difficult conversation because there's a little bit of the unknown in sure. You know, you know, it
2: depends on the relationship. Um, yeah. If somebody's not able to tell somebody else who's that close to them, my first question would be to them is that um, how you know not how do you feel about it, but how is it impacting you? Because if you're not able to verbalize that to mm-hmm. someone who is so close to you, a is your relationship strong, right? Because mm-hmm. that, that should be the person that you should be able to talk to these things about. And if your relationship is strong, what within yourself are you worried about about you mm-hmm. that might change? If you tell your partner this, is it wasn't the mm-hmm. way that they'll look at you. Is it that, that it's your fault? Um, so if you have those types of thoughts, oh, that that's my fault. If I you know kind of admit this, or if, or if I tell anybody, you have to look at this. Is a you know there's two things here. There's an egg and a sperm that need to to be healthy in order to create this. So even though there's a diagnosis, it doesn't mean that that's the absolute reason. There's so many different variables that go into creating a viable pregnancy. That if you're in a partnership that where you care and love love each other, um, you should be supportive of each other regarding you know your health or you know raising your child. I mean, mm-hmm. what what's going to happen if the child has some issues? Are you not going to want to tell your partner about that because you're afraid? You know, so really kind of fi- figuring out what that underlying reason is of them not wanting to tell the partner, and then helping them sort through that, or recommending they see um, someone for therapy to help them sort through that, whichever is most appropriate. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's how I would handle that situation and then also people with polycystic ovaries sometimes will have this kind of self-esteem issue of being different not being normal Mm -hmm. Um, you know having the excessive hair growth or the acne that can be a real huge self-image issue or create huge self-image issues and Mm -hmm. contribute to issues with self-esteem so bringing that to that patient's attention and and again looking at things holistically um, because they may be ashamed right so um, may sound silly to somebody else. I ah, can't believe you wouldn't tell your partner. Um, but you know, they may be ashamed of that. You know, and It's not something that they want to um, or that they feel real comfortable talking about. So there are probably other uh, self-image issues or potentially, I don't know, in that particular case. But those are all the kind of things that I'm thinking about if somebody would right. talk to me about that. Because I want to be able to not just give them vitamins and say goodbye. I really want to feel like they're coming to a place of support Um, where they can feel like I'm looking at them not just from a physiological perspective, but from an emotional perspective as well, and helping them through as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, a word that comes to mind, because I was reading about something, what what sort of motivates us, um, uh, sort of an unhealthy motivation is that fear of abandonment, you know? Right. For sure, I mean, yeah. Something that an, a person just can't handle about mm-hmm. us and leaving, even though that may be far from the case in your spouse, right. you know, that's crazy that you would think that. It's just right. there's that inner, um, you know, I've experienced that myself. Where you're like, wow, that's what's going on with me. You're so scared that that person just couldn't stick with you during right. whatever.
2: Exactly. And then that's usually, like you said, if it's not really the case truly, there's usually some underlying issue of, you know, I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just on my own, um, for that person to stay, you know what I mean, so that would be to be able to work through that with someone uh, would be hugely important because I guess this is how I look at um, the patients that i 'm dealing with fertility issues i have I talked about before about the physician who has a missed opportunity of talking to that teenager who has polycystic over so much that can be done at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Whereas I look at my practices, I, I absolutely want to su- help and support my patients to become pregnant. First and foremost, that's why they're coming to me. But if I can be a cog in the wheel of helping them also improve the rest of their life and give them a little bit of support for how they then support their family in turn, then I think I'm really doing my job, you know, not mm-hmm. just yeah. focusing only on pregnancy, but focusing right. on the person as a whole. And not everybody's ready for that. You know, people just want to come to me to get pregnant. And that's okay, too. I try to meet everybody where they're at, um, and you know, if somebody's ready or needs that support, then I can you know provide that or give them um, suggestions
1: of where to go to find it. How do you? Um, how do we find out more about you? And and then you said you renamed your book, and you. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah,
2: I have to update my bio. Thanks for bringing that to my attention. Um, yeah, my new book came out. Um, basically, it's a uh, uh, the Fertility Bible was a Best selling book in Australia it was fantastic. Um, it was 165 pages, and I felt like it just didn't have enough meat. So I uh, renamed it to kind of reflect our Baby Maker products brand here in the US called The Baby Maker's Guide to Getting Pregnant, featuring the five step fertility solution. It's available on Amazon. Um, and then I have some thermometers, um, fertility thermometers, and ovulation tests under the Baby Maker um, brand on Amazon as well. If you want to t- get in touch with me, in regards to um, you know consultations or uh, just any other information regarding what we do in our program, um, it's naturalfertility.com would be a way to uh, look at our website. Uh, we also have, um, if you're a practitioner, we have the the Baby Maker Network. Um, so both Baby Maker community and Baby Maker network are also on Facebook. If you just wanted to um, you know, like us on Facebook, that's another way to keep in touch with me. Um, but yeah, practitioners, we have a 12-month program to go through all different facets of fertility, five to six-hour webinars on each topic. I'm really going into very much in-depth on the newest research out there about fertility. And then um, the, uh, the practitioner, or excuse me, the consultation services that we have are really related to our five-step fertility solution and then and, um, suggesting uh, specific herbals and supplementation for their particular situation. So they can reach me at stacythebabymaker at gmail.com. That's an email that they can reach me at or info at naturalfertility.com.
1: God, you got all the great domain names and the uh, <laughs> <laughs> the baby maker. Um, okay, I'm, I'm going to put those in the podcast notes. Correct. And then um, not to put you on the spot, but is there like... A, no, 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 Just a, a line of inspiration that you can get. I mean, you gave so much, I think the takeaway of all this is you are not your diagnosis, right? Correct. Um, You are. And so it's, it's a group of signs and symptoms that can be managed. You can be stronger, healthier. I mean, you can come out the other side of this, Mm -hmm. um, incredibly healthy, but is there like a inspirational, something you can, you know, leave us with? I think um, along
2: those lines of what you said, you aren't, aren't your diagnosis, I think we've got to stop looking at polycystic ovaries as some separate entity that needs to be addressed or is impossible to be addressed in regards to fertility. It's really just the canary in the coal mine. And if you remember what that means, it's, you know, back in the day they brought, uh, before they had things to detect poisonous gases in, in coal mines, they would take a canary down there. And if the canary dropped, you know, dropped dead, basically, then they know that they couldn't work in the coal mine that day. PCOS is the canary in the coal mine, and the positive take to to be diagnosed with polycystic ovaries when you're in your 20s or 30s and trying to get pregnant is that you have the ability to change your, your life and your health for the long term because you've been let know early on that you have propensity to this issue, so you can avoid being diagnosed with diabetes, avoid being diagnosed with high blood pressure, you can avoid potentially your children having to deal with these same things. So being able to take responsibility for your health is not just gonna be a gift that you give yourself, it's gonna be a gift that you give your family as well. So keeping that in mind that there's so many things to do and that your, um, your actions will have repercussions going forward many, many, many years um, is something to keep in mind um, when you're diagnosed with polycystic ovaries
1: mm-hmm. and,
2: and you have an advantage of knowing now so you can do something about it that's significant.
1: Absolutely. Thanks. And, um, and, and don't leave out us first-time moms in our 40s, too, because you right. can improve Before, your health. Yeah. I right. See, I don't see the, and I, the reason why I didn't mention that
2: is because I don't see a lot of polycystic ovaries being diagnosed for the first time um, related mm-hmm. to fertility in the 40s. Mm-hmm. Usually, they're diagnosed um, a little bit earlier. Um, in the 20s and 30s is where I see most of my polycystic ovary patients. However, you're right. I mean, you know, I see women in their 40s who are becoming pregnant. And when you look at the statistics, the women between 35 and 40 are becoming pregnant more than anybody else, and women between 40 and 45 are becoming pregnant 8 to 10 times more than they were, you know, 40 Mm -hmm. years ago, or even 10 years ago. So, you know, even, yeah, thanks for bringing that to my attention, but um, it's so important for us to understand that, yep, there is a pointy end of the stick where things aren't going to work anymore, but it's not 35. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. not even 40 in some cases for many people. Um, Once you get to mid-40s and above, that's where we seem to have a lot of problems um, or more challenges, I should say, to Mm -hmm. become pregnant. But yeah, absolutely. There's so much potential.
1: That was a great conversation, I
0: mean. It really um, was. Thank thank you so much.
1: Yeah. I mean, oh, and one thing I just, um, the metformin depleting um, uh, folic acid and B vitamins, I mean, when women are put on that, they might not get that piece of information, right? And those are crucial nutrients for fertility. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to kind of, you know, there was so much information covered to bring that Mm -hmm. up again. Um,
2: Absolutely. So they need to be taking something with calcium to help um, the B vitamins and things get absorbed from the foods that they're taking, but also they need to have their folic acid and B vitamins as well, uh, along with that. So it's very important to consider that in their supplementation program.
1: Thank you so much, Lisa. You Really enjoyed it. And no I'll problem. um and I'll tell you when your um, when this episode is published. I'll send Sounds you information. Good. Thank okay, you thank so you so much. Bye, nice then. to meet you. See ya. Nice to meet you. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to the fertility hour. For being one of our loyal listeners, we would like to give you free access to a special report called Restore Your Fertility Naturally. Inside, you'll learn about an eight-step, all-natural process that's helped hundreds of couples conceive. This is one of our most popular reports, and you can get free access by going to fertilityhour.com forward slash report. Again, that's fertilityhour.com forward slash report. Go there now, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Fertility Hour.